But I think the giving for is significantly more defining because I view when we give for instead of just giving to that we're actually giving more of our lives. There is a difference to give to. It means to contribute to a person or a cause. But to give for it speaks for the sake of someone or something. It expresses the Lord's redeeming death in this example. It is very sacrificial. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. For some of you who may be visiting at Calvary Chapel, we go through the Bible verse by verse. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands... Verse 25, God's command to us, first and foremost, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So there's no higher standard than the agape love. And this is the word that Paul used here. It's a Greek word that in the New Testament, it's a God-given love that God has given us. It's not phileo. It's another word for love that's found in the Bible that speaks about uh, brotherly love. It's not eros, which is another word for love that really is more lust than love. But this is agape. And so this is a sacrificial love, I believe, probably is the best way that we can define this. And the example is Jesus Christ. That just as Christ gave himself for it, the church, we are to love our wives. Notice it didn't say that Christ gave himself to the church but gave himself for the church. Two or four is is just two little simple prepositions that are used there to define this, but I believe there's a great difference. I think I gave myself two, Lily, in our marriage in one sense that we were uh, united together in marriage, but giving two is more of a responsive thing. Lily loves me. John loves Lily. We give ourselves to each other as husband and wife. More responsive, like our giving to the Lord in offerings today, giving thanks to the Lord in our songs and our prayers. There can be sacrifice in these things. But I think the giving for is significantly more defining because I view when we give for instead of just giving to that we're actually giving more of our lives. There is a difference to give to. It means to contribute to a person or a cause. But to give for, 
It speaks for the sake of someone or something. It expresses the Lord's redeeming death in this example. It is very sacrificial. I was counseling a couple many years ago, and even in my notes, I had written, not from this church. So, not from this church. So don't look around and try to figure out who Pastor John's talking about. Not from this church. In this particular situation, here's some of the things that I wrote down. The husband, I come home from work, and the house is not clean, and immediately my wife gives me a list of things that she expects me to do. I'm kind of imagining that maybe I saw a tear glimmer in the guy's eye at this point where he says, I'm tired. All I want to do is first sit down at the table and have her bring me a glass of water. Is that too much to ask? A little glass of water? Before the to-do list, a little water? This is what she was saying. He hides many things from me. I do everything around this house. He flirts with other women and acts with me the way he is supposed to act with other women. He treats me like a stranger. See, the giving to or the giving for, I think this man was giving to his family. He was supporting them. He was going to work. He was bringing provision, but he was no longer giving for. He missed the mark. And again, I don't know if the marriage succeeded or not. I can tell you this. If it continued in that state, I'd probably say not. Jesus' love toward us is so much greater in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or such things, but that she should be holy and without blame. Now, the example is Christ in the church. This is what Christ does for the church. But the example, husband, is for us toward our wives, that the church itself, Jesus Christ, he wants to sanctify, he wants to cleanse, he wants to present, he wants her to be without spot and without wrinkle, that she should be holy and without blemish. Seven things that are key words that are given to us here, sanctification, cleansing, uh, the presentation of his wife, spot, wrinkle, holy, and blemish. This is what Christ does for us. I put it in the pastor's pen and, you know, verse 26, I named our tape ministry, or they don't do tapes anymore, but the CDs and media ministry and the radio show that we have called The Cleansing Word. It's off of this verse that he'll sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. And yes, I did name my Bible. I know it might be sacrilege, but I had a stamp made up that says the cleansing word. A little Calvary dove there, one of a kind. If you want one, I got the stamp. <laughs> but I was so proud of my son in this one thing, and he does it better than I, I would say. But we were driving in the car, and he was telling me that I used to read to Catherine the Bible every night, but she tends to fall asleep on me, so we began doing it in the morning. And before we go off to work and do anything, he goes, I'll read scripture to her. You know what he's doing? He's washing her by the water of the word. How simple that is. That I believe as we get God's word in us, that there's this purifying effect that can happen in our lives. And husbands, we have this responsibility to 
be washing our wives through the water by the word that we may present her just as Christ presents the church. Well, a husband's love should be sanctifying. It means to set apart just as Jesus has set apart the church for himself. Husbands, we set apart our wives. We sanctify her unto ourselves in the Song of Solomon. Chapter 6, verse 3, it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. There is this distinction. Husband and wife, we, we belong to one another. And, and I see holding my marriage vow with Lily to the highest regard. That as I've committed myself to Lily, then I hold that Lily herself in the highest regard and respect. That's why you won't hear me talk about her in any way that would bring disrespect or vice versa, because we've held each other up to this higher standard. We're not perfect. And we have our faults, each of us. We've had our failures. But we strive to live out God's word in our marriage, in our lives. It's time, husbands, for us to sanctify our wives in such a way. If this has not been you, then seek repentance and love her just as Jesus loves the church. A husband's love should be cleansing. And this is the washing of the water of the word. Jesus, with his bride, it's through his word that he saves us. He sanctifies us. But there is in in the Bible or as far as theology is concerned of the Bible, there is positional sanctification and there's practical sanctification. Positional sanctification means when you are saved, you are saved. God has given you a place in his kingdom in heaven. But practically, we have to work things out in our lives, don't we? We're saved, but we're still sinners. And so this washing of the water of the word, it's that practical sanctification where he's continually washing and cleansing and making us whole. And so husbands, we can do this very same thing. And maybe what we're missing in our marriage is just a matter of taking God's word and take my son's example. I probably told him he should do this, and I don't always follow it. But just read scripture to her. Be washed by the water of the word. See, while the guy is reading scripture to his wife, God is speaking to the man's heart at the same time. Husband's love should be presenting as Christ's love is for the church. See, it tells us that Jesus presented his bride to himself. God has done everything for us. He paid the price for us. He made us his own special treasure. And then he has presented us his own special treasure to himself. It's like buying your own Christmas present. What'd you get me? I got my wife. I presented her to her. It makes me think of some of this mushy, Valentine-ish type first love dating. Where guys, you do everything as, man, you're presenting yourself in such a way that, hey, you can snag this woman. You like her. You want her to be your wife. The sad thing is, we forget how to do that. We forget how to open doors. We forget how to just send a note or make a phone call or today text and sometimes too much. But just to have a little spontaneity in your life and your relationship to keep working 
on the relationship, not only to present her to yourself sanctified and cleansed through the word, but she is yours, your own special gift, your own special treasure. That Notice he says that she should be without spot or wrinkle, but that she should be holy and without blemish. These four words, spot, wrinkle, holy, and blemish. Spot biblically thinks of inherited sin. And I can tell you there's not one marriage relationship here that didn't bring baggage from their life before their marriage into their marriage. We all have inherent sin. It's just there. But sometimes the failure is we never deal with the past to get beyond it, that we can move on into the future. A wrinkle, we think of something withering from within. And I believe men who sanctify and present their wives in such a way that her spirit never withers, well, they'll find that there's this, and we may get, let's just face it, wrinkles come as we get older. But there's this wrinkling of a spirit that I've seen in women's life where they've just been deflated and defeated because their husband has not presented them in such a way. To be holy, it means to be sacred. And this could speak of physically pure, morally, and um, to hold your marriage vow in, in that way. Our marriage to our wives, it's holy. And we're to hold it in that way. It's sanctified. God has set this woman apart for you guys. Without blemish, it thinks of our personal sins, things that, hey, we have happened throughout daily life. And when things happen, we need to just get beyond it and ask forgiveness and move on and grow in our marriage. There's a story that came out of South Africa I'm going to read to you. And it really depicts, I believe, how we guys can lift up our wives in such a way that man... God can just shine through her life. And I tell you, if God's shining through your life, read Proverbs 31. It says there that the whole village recognized that, that woman of um, virtue to where the guy is like, man, the guys are saying to the man of Proverbs 31 is like, man, your wife is sweet. Not that they're liking her in the sense, but she's just a virtuous woman that everyone looks up to and respects. It's how we value our wives, and it matters in our wives. The story, I'll read it to you. It comes from a South African nanny who says this. In a village in the heart of Africa lived a very wealthy king who had six lovely daughters and one very plain, some would say ugly, daughter. Now this wise king knew the value of daughters. When it was time for them to be married, according to their tradition, a labola, or a wedding gift, or we would say a dowry, was to be presented to the king for any marriage proposal. Now the pretty daughters were chosen and were married as soon as they came of age, but the plain daughter matured, and when it was her turn to be married, there was no suitor in sight. The villagers were not kind as they snickered about who might be the unfortunate candidate to have to marry the most homely of the king's daughters. But the king was a kind father, and he decided to seek a husband for his daughter because he was concerned about her unhappiness and despair. He approached the prince of the neighboring village and tried to strike a compromise by saying that the lowest labola would be most acceptable. Unfortunately, the prince turned down the king. Distressed, the king offered it even lower compromise, and still he refused. 
Then the king offered, no, Lobola, you don't have to give me a, a dowry. And yet the prince refused. The king was astonished and asked, was he expected to pay this man to marry his daughter? And the prince looked at the unhappy king, paused, and asked the strangest questions. First he asked, how much was the highest Lobola paid for one of your daughters? Sputtering, the king replied, five cows. Hey, it's a big deal in Africa. The prince again paused, looking quietly in the eyes of the kings. He says, I will pay 10 cows for the honor of marrying your daughter. The king was shocked. He could hardly believe his good fortune. And he quickly closed the deal, hurried back to his village, and he happily spread the news of the most prosperous of events. The villagers were astonished. Well, the wedding celebration was very long and a happy event, and the prince and his bride left to go to their new home. Several months later, all the daughters gathered for a celebration. As the plain daughter approached the gathering, everyone gasped. She had transformed into a glowing and beautiful woman. Throughout the celebration, she recounted how the prince had secretly been in love with her for years and was shocked when her father came to him first, and he had been willing to pay the highest of Lombola to show how much he valued and treasured her. He continued to express his love for her, and she began to realize how precious she was to him, and gradually she allowed his love to shine through her. The beauty that everyone now could see was a reflection of his love. So I think that just gives us a great definition of what God is speaking about here. Husbands, as how you treat and value your wife, well, she will reflect that either in a good way or a negative way. Husbands were to love our wives just as Jesus Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He spread out his arms. He died for her. It was a sacrificial love. In verse 28, it tells us husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And so how do we love our own bodies? Well, me, I pretty much feed it pretty well. <laughs> too well. Too often. I often think about the need of exercise. And sometimes I actually do exercise. But never consistently enough. But we take care of our bodies. And Paul goes on to say in verse 29, For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So we are to nourish our wives just as Jesus nourishes the church. It means to rear up to maturity. It speaks about growth in our marriage. We are to cherish our wives just as Jesus cherishes the church. The word means to keep warm or to comfort. It's speaking of care that we give. And to keep warm, it makes me think of that fire. Don't neglect your wife in such a way that the flame of love goes out. Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Guys, you have an opportunity to do a little nourishing and cherishing here. And I think your wives are expecting a little bit of it. If you fail, be warned. I've warned you. Take advantage of the day that's coming up. Take advantage of next Saturday night. And it's not just for couples only, but, you know, just to take time 
to be with one another. On Saturday with the fellowship, that's great. But on Tuesday, with each other. I'd noticed through the years in something Lily and I rarely ever practiced, but I've had some folks that I've known that seemed that they could not go out for dinner unless they brought one or two other couples with them. You know, we encourage our teens to group date because there's safety in numbers, but the whole time the teens are group dating, they're looking forward to that time where they don't have to group date anymore. And they can be one-on-one, and then somehow we get married and we decide we need group dating's fun. <laughs> it's not bad to go out with other couples, but if you're doing that in neglect of never taking your wife out or vice versa, hey, you're not nourishing, you're not cherishing as you should. So take advantage of special weekends. When Lily and I were in our 20s and our kids were, you know, probably eight or nine, and we didn't always have babysitters and stuff, and we would do things. And I think one of the funnest things we did a couple of times is um, we would cook these nice meals at home, have our children service as if they're the waitress and waiter, and we had a two-story house, and then we'd tell them to go get lost. We would be in the dining room, candlelight dinner. Our kids would service the dinner. Of course, we cooked the dinner, but they would serve the dinner. Then they would go upstairs, and every once in a while, they'd come back downstairs and ask if we needed to refill on our drinks or more bread or something like that. And then they would go upstairs. And I don't know what we didn't necessarily have a TV for them back then, but today you could stick a video or let them go play games. But... We made it fun for the whole family, but we also took time to not only just be with one another in that setting. I know it's not like going out, but to tell you the truth, there were times where I was on unemployment for quite a while, and we couldn't afford to do that. And so this was a way to make a night special, but I think also it was a way to teach our children that our significant other is special to us. So you can change it up. You can make it fun. Verse 30 says, For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this whole teaching on wives and husband, the whole time Paul is teaching about Jesus Christ and his love towards the church. We, too, become one flesh. I, initially, we understand that to be a consummation of marriage, the physical act of sexual in- intercourse that takes place between a husband and wife. When that marriage is consummated, uh, they have become one flesh. But that's not where it ends. Becoming one flesh is a lifelong process of growing together and nourishing and cherishing one another. Christ does this for his church. We are of his flesh. We are his bones. Nevertheless, verse 33, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. Notice own, guys. (laughs) Don't love somebody else's wife. Love your own wife. As himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. God has given us wisdom in his word, and we have neglected it, so much of it. Father, I know that this message can, uh, can target folks in many different ways. 
This is what I know, Lord, that we're all sinners in need of a Savior and that we've all made mistakes and we need your healing touch every day of our lives. So, Lord, if there is confession that needs to be made to you today, I pray that hearts would just lift up their voices and cry out to you this very moment. Lord, if there's need needs to be repentance between a husband and wife, Lord, work in their hearts, their lives. Let them work through things that need to be worked through. Help us, Lord, to take this passage of Scripture that we've heard read a lot. Probably every wedding that we attend, we hear this passage read during the ceremony. But Lord, let's not just be hearers of the word, let us be doers. Lord, you require so much of us, but you've given so much more for us. Thank you for your great love. May we share and show that love within our own families so that all the world could see, like the princess in the village in Africa that was so loved by her husband, she reflected the love of her husband to all others that they could see. Lord, may we have that in our own marriages, and more so, Lord, may we have that in our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.